I think the biggest challenge is getting the final group of stories and poems into the final format that you're going to have published, because that's when you come up with the need for perfection, and you need uh, several really good editors and proofreaders and eagle eyes to look it over and make sure it's all there. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Cindy Hall, member of the Rehoboth Beach Writers Guild and editor of the Rehoboth Reimagined Anthology. Published in June 2017, the book contains prose and poetry inspired by turn-of-the-century photographs from the Rehoboth Beach Historical Society. So welcome to the podcast, Cindy. Thank you for inviting me. Well, one thing that I love about this anthology is the concept behind it. Your team found some photographs at the Historical Society, and would you just mind talking a little bit about the concept behind well, it? Well, it actually all started with the Scottish writer Alexander McCall Smith. Are you familiar with his writings? Um, he does the number one ladies detective agency and 44 Scotland Yard. And so he's a prolific writer for the past 20 years. Um, and decided in 2015 to do a, a book of short stories based on vintage photographs. And I read this and loved it. And so he just made up stories about people in these vintage photographs. And I thought, we live in the perfect place to do that. Here we have the Rehoboth Beach Writers Guild, all of these writers. We have the Rehoboth Beach Historical Society and Museum. I thought they might have some photographs. And so I contacted their um, executive director, Nancy Alexander, and talked to her about the, the idea. And she loved it and invited me to come and dig through their, their online arch- photo archives. So I was able to come up with about 50 photographs. I was looking for unattributed, no clear provenance, meaning we don't know who the people are, if they're people in the photographs. And no one has claimed them. They just showed up at mm. the museum um, because we didn't want to be writing about somebody's great aunt Maisie. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's how that started. And we called those 50 photographs down to 14, put them out to our writers and said, pick a photograph that speaks to you and write a short story or poetry. But in that time period. So it's turn of the last century from the late 1890s through to like 1920. That was an exciting time in Rehoboth anyway because it's kind of transforming from a fishing-type town to a resort. And, you know, it actually started with the Methodist camps, so people would come and stay in tents, really elaborate tents, for the summer, and they would have camp meetings. Mm. In the selection process, do you say, okay, we've got 14 photographs, we're going to do a poem and a short story for each photo or do you did you kind of just see what rose to the top did any photo get ignored i'm just sort of fascinated by that by that process right well photos did get ignored um so 14 is what people ended up writing about i think what we actually threw out was maybe 20 of them or so um we didn't have 
a specific number that we wanted to accept. Um, we were hoping to get a good mix of poetry and short stories, which we did. We ended up with, I think it was 26 short stories and 10 poems. What was the jury process like? Did you have like a, a committee or did, was there an editor? How did, how did that whole process go through? Mary, <laughs> Mary Beth Fisher, who's the executive director of the Rehoboth Beach Writers Guild, asked kindly some of the more experienced writers in the group if they would be on our editorial board. And so we had readers and editors who called through everything that was submitted, and then we just chose what we thought would make a good anthology. And we worked with some of the writers to edit it, and it was just a great process for the whole group. What made it a great process? It's not just sitting at home and writing a story yourself to submit someplace because we did have these experienced people who could help you. To me, it could also be a learning experience for all of us. And then, of course, we have people in this anthology who are published and very experienced writers, and they needed absolutely no help. Mm. We just put the story in the way it arrived. Um, and that was great. But for people who have not been published before or, you know, are a little rusty, it, it's just a warm, welcoming experience. It's not like a competition. I was at the Night of Song and Story in July, and I got a chance to see the Rehoboth Beach Writers Guild. They will pack a house. I mean, mm. there were, I mean, I guarantee you there were... There's a hundred people. I yeah. was about to say, I was thinking 75 to a hundred people packed this uh fish on i believe right. it was and mm -hmm. just to see how excited people are for writing and how motivated people were and i was talking with um kathleen martins who's been on the, the yeah. podcast before mm -hmm. and how they they run that night is they have a certain amount of words that they'll pick and they put it out to the group and then people have to pitch a story on those words and you know she says as soon as that email goes out people say oh i want this word i want that word i want this word and then they have basically a whole month before the next night to read their story out loud and it was such a vibrant group that it doesn't shock me at all that there was an outpouring of submissions for for this anthology it, yeah it was really great and i enjoyed working with everyone it was just a wonderful experience Nothing bad about this experience at all. <laughs> what was the difference between what you thought it was going to be like and what it was actually like? Um, I would say it actually went right along the direction I was hoping it would oh. go. I have not done this before, so I had no great expectation. Um, I just kind of went along with the process the way it seemed uh, intuitive. What did you What did you learn about the people who do your job when you are submitting work? It's fun to read all of that. Uh -huh. um, and it can be tough to make a decision about what to include and what not to include. But we did have guidelines, just like you would for any submission. And we had a couple of really fabulous stories that we just couldn't use because they did not adhere to the guideline. I've, I've spoken I've spoken to, to, to lots of... I mean, we have spoken to, to lots of publishers. And uh, it's always... I, I for my day job I get a lot of submissions and it's always just mind boggling how people will take the time to do all the writing but not a second to find out. Like I'll get a lot of so I write for OceanCity.com, dot com 
and I'll get a lot of, you know, the best 10 places to camp in Canada. And like, <laughs> what, what about OceanCity.com even makes you think that you should, that you should send me that pitch, but people are, people are just so excited to get stuff in. And it makes me more sensitive when I'm submitting things. I'm like, okay, really take a look. Like, see if you can find one story in this magazine that even kind of looks like the story you're thinking about. Because if you can't, I think a lot of times as writers, we're like, well, we'll take a chance. And we don't realize that there's someone at the end of that with, with an email account full of things <laughs> to read. We want to make it at least not uncomfortable for them. Mostly everybody stuck to what they were supposed to do. I have to say, to me... I don't think I was thinking of it at the very beginning, but it became very obvious as we moved on that this was a big challenge for our writers because they're writing in a historical time period. That's not necessarily easy. Um, most of our writers, now we do have some historical writers in the group, but most of our writers are used to writing contemporary. Sure. So these people put in hours and hours of research to make sure they got the details correct. Mm. You know, what were the women wearing? What were the men wearing? What, if they spoke about music, what was it? Um, just the whole, what were the social mores? Were, you know, a man and a woman sitting together on a bench at the beach or not? You know, mm. there, there might have been some space between them, you know. So and what did that represent at right, the time? Yeah. Exactly. And so we had our the writers just delved into that before they wrote their stories and I spent a lot of time when I got the stories in on the internet looking up this looking up that making sure all the facts were correct right because it's almost like you kind of taking a step sideways almost like into science fiction or dystopian stuff where they have to build a universe or build a world that you know i mean for me to write about turn of the century i mean i'd have to do the exact same thing because right. you know there's a whole there are constructs that you have to adhere to or else you're going to yank your reader right out of that piece if they recognize something that's not the way it's supposed to be right and we certainly have a lot of history buffs around here because there's so much history in this area um so lots of people who are very into it, and I didn't really want to be getting emails about, <laughs> right. oh, you couldn't, you know, that you just isn't going to happen. Wearing right. a bowler hat. Yeah, yeah or exactly. July, and it was against the law to wear a bowler hat in July. In exactly. Not only that, but you'll get the people that say, well, that church wasn't on that corner in 1926. It was, you know, I mean, ah. you, you'll get, I mean, people who are buffs, as you probably well aware of local history, are going to hold, I mean, they're going to hold that right to the fire. Exactly. And and we definitely have those in the Lewis Rehoboth area. So far, I haven't heard from any of them. <laughs> I'm kind of happy about that. Um, but we did put a big disclaimer in the front that said, you know, this is all fiction. It's not based on anybody's life. We know these are, you know, real people, but we're making up the stories. Kind exactly. of like at the end of a movie, you know, yeah. uh, all of the, any... Any resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. That is correct. <laughs> and so by that same token, we did not want anything horrifically bad to happen to anyone that <laughs> someone is using from one of these photographs. Because you never know if somebody's going to accidentally get recognized. Just because everyone hasn't been to the historical society and gone through all the photos doesn't mean someone's not going to pick up the book and say, hey, that looks a lot like my little sister. And like, oh, well, the reason it looks like your little sister is it's your your great aunt Norma, as you're saying. Exactly. That's exactly it. And that is why one of the guidelines was that we have to be, the writing has to be very respectful 
if there are people in the photograph, the writing has to be very respectful of what you're making that character up to be. Mm-hmm. So, um, and 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 everybody was. I don't think anybody will be, um, you know, ranting and raving at us if they do recognize their great Aunt Maisie. You're listening to So What's Your Story? And today we're talking with Cindy Hall, editor of Rehoboth Reimagined. I've never been a judge. Stephanie has judge work before. And I always wonder how easy it is to recognize like a voice. Like if you've read somebody's stuff before, if you could, one of the reasons that I would never submit to something that Stephanie was judging for is because you, you wouldn't want the, you wouldn't want to put her in the position to say, ah, I think I know who this is. You know, did that happen very often? And how do you deal with that kind uh, of? Well, this is why we had an editorial board. Nothing was my decision per uh, se. You know, I headed up the process, but I wanted every story to be read by at least two people. And sometimes it was read by more than two people um, so that it wouldn't just be one person saying, yes, this is a great story or no, it's not. Uh, I didn't want anyone to fall out just based on one person's opinion. Now, is this the first time that the Rehoboth Beach Writers Guild has attempted an anthology or an anthology of, of this type? And It's the first of this type. A few years ago, uh, they did a book of poetry, I believe. Um, but this is the first mixed and certainly the first that we've done that's historic uh, from a historic period. And, but we're, we are hoping to do more. I was about to say, <laughs> it, it's something you feel like you could do annually just we, – we have a friend of ours, uh, Bud Scott, who, who has a blog where he, he found a, a case of photos and he did he, – he's called it 10,000, 100,000 uh, words, 52,000 yeah, words? Something about a thousand because a picture's worth a thousand words. Right. So I think he called his a thousand words. And he basically, when his fa- I think it was after his father passed away, he was cleaning out the attic and found a whole bunch of old family photos. But he said he didn't recognize many of them. So he would just pick one out. And he's a flash fiction guy. So he was doing flash fiction about these different ones. I think he did a total of 52, like one for every week of the year. And, and it, was, it was a cool concept. And mm-hmm. so, and that's why, you know, it seems like such an obvious sort of thing as maybe even a writing prompt you know to to do but then to step in and say hey as a group we're going to we're going to tackle this concept as a project and i think it i think it's certainly turned out really well i i think it turned out well i'm not so sure i would have as much enthusiasm if i did something historical again so i think the next one will be something that people can write in a, a modern time frame a contemporary time frame well, the idea of groups doing anthologies is is what's really interesting to me, because if you have if you have an annual, it doesn't have to be a fundraiser, or it doesn't right. it doesn't have to be even a contribution to literature writ large. It can be, hey, let's do this project together annually, and and let's make it something that that is ours and explicitly ours. And that's exactly the idea behind this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we could have done this through various publishers and whatnot, but we wanted to have something that was ours because we have the skill set within our guild to write it and do this beautiful cover that uh, Crystal Heidel created and to publish. And, you know, we've got all those skill sets to edit and proof and whatnot, so why not do it within the guild? Um, and, again, not only that, but it, the same thing I said is it's a such a great um, – collaboration 
thing when you know people and it's a great way to get to know the people you don't know sure um so to have it within our own group is fun now did did you submit to it did you not bother submitting to it and if doing it if you're doing it every year will you not ever get to be in it I did not this year just because I was a little busy. I can imagine. <laughs> and and quite honestly, I didn't think I was up to the challenge of writing in the historical time frame. Um, I just didn't feel like I would be able to nail the voice and as the people here did. Mm. Um, that, like I said, the next one will be contemporary. We'll see. And, and I mentioned to the other editors that if they would like to submit a piece, you know, we'll have other people that will read it and decide if it should be included. So hopefully next time we all will. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So how long did the whole process take? I mean, I know that, you know, from the time that you say, hey, we have this idea to now, uh, I think it was published in what, early June of, of Right, this- and I started about October 2016. Gotcha. And uh, we got it published in June. Gotcha. So the whole part, uh, uh, the whole portion of, idea putting it out there calling the photographs and the whole nine yards so about eight months or so right well i mean but that's still a pretty quick turnaround time for to go from hey we have this idea to book in hand i mean that's a pretty phenomenal turnaround time for that right and our writers um we were only able to give them i believe if i recall correctly that was two months to eight weeks to come up with something um, from the time we put it out, and that was over the holidays mm. until the time we needed it, because we knew there would be a big chunk of time on the back end for us to edit and choose and get it published. Now, what um, we didn't get to talk about you as as a writer. So, when you when you what what kind of writing do you generally do? Well, my background is corporate um, business to business writing, so marketing, you know, all of that fun stuff, proposals, brochures, right? You know. But if, if you were if you were going to submit, what kind of? Uh, if I were going to submit, definitely I go for short story humor. So I want things um, because I want to be entertained, and I don't necessarily find enough humorous um, writing when I'm looking at the bookstore or the library. That that's why I want to try to write. I'm always I'm always super impressed by people who can do humor. I just come off mean. I don't. <laughs> I mean, it could be that just because I'm mean in my soul, but like even when I'm trying to be ironic or, or, or a little humorous, I just come off mean. And it's really, it's hard to be funny and also not mean and also intelligible where, especially when you're doing it in writing, where you're not telling a lot of you had to be there stories. For me, it's not so much enjoying you know, kind of one-liner type things. It's more situational. And it is, to me anyway, it's an incredible challenge to be able to write that scene where people will find it humorous. Makes sense. And I can, so I can see why if you're drawn to writing humor, why turn of the century Rehoboth might not have been, might have been a, a bit of a challenge. <laughs> yeah, perhaps not the most, um, you know, happy-go-lucky period and one of the first photographs i called was the falmouth shipwreck and it's like you know there's not going to be any humor coming out of that one i don't think (laughs) yeah not a shipwreck but so you you pull a photo of a shipwreck and there were, were three things one was a poem and two short stories and um 
one poem called Shipwreck 1899 by Gary Hanna, a short story called The Wreck about Bill Hicks, which by Bill Hicks, which was li- literally about the wreck of the Falmouth, but a fictional version. Mm. Sure. And then Crystal Heidel wrote Bad Weather Witch based on the shipwreck. Oh, so some three very different, yeah, very different takes. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yes, because Ga- Gary Hanna's uh, poem is about the actual shipwreck. And then uh, Bill Hicks' short story is total fiction. And then Bad Weather Witch. <laughs> yeah, why not, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? When you go through the photos, did you find that you learned things or that you learned things from the text that you hadn't known? Oh, absolutely. And the photos were fascinating just to look at all those. And there were so many that I just wanted to use, but we couldn't because the quality was not good enough. Right. For, uh, for inclusion. That's such a frustration. You could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, so that would have, I imagine that would have been massively frustrating to have this really cool photo and either the resolution not being there or, you know, something. Right. There, there, it really wasn't. There were several of them. The one I remember um, in particular struck my sense of humor was a goat cart. So literally a goat pulling a cart. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I just want a story about that. But right. I couldn't use that. But there were there were bunches of them actually that I just wish we could have put in there, but they would not reproduce very well. What do you think was the most interesting thing that you learned uh, about historically in the process that you that you hadn't heard of before? I, well, I think it was more just a reminder of the social mores of the time. Several writers in here mention about the upcoming women's suffrage movement and, you know, how women were feeling very left behind at that time. Um, So stories about daughters wanting to break out and, you know, mom and dad not so much. Um, So... That was just, that was really interesting to have in here. I would say that was probably the most interesting. You're listening to So What's Your Story? And today we're talking with Cindy Hall, editor of Rehoboth Reimagined. Was there anything particularly striking about seeing an empty Rehoboth in the summertime? Because it was still, it was still not packed gill to gill. Right. And I don't know that anybody really wrote to that too much, but there is at least one, if not more than one, probably two or three stories in here, where they are depicting the characters who actually lived here year-round. So there were people that lived year-round who had obviously farms. I mean, the the farms in the Delmarva area have been here for centuries. There are stories that address the people that live year-round, but definitely a much less populated area. And the train. The train used to come right into the middle of Rehoboth. So Mm -hmm. we have one story that is about the train. How did you become the editor for this this anthology? I think because it was my idea. Oh, my gosh. Oh, really? So, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, great idea. Go ahead. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the best way to get things done and also to not get things done that you don't want to get done, done. A lot of times uh, we have our own writers group here in Berlin, and a lot of times we were like, we should do that. And they're like, you should do that. And then they either do it or the idea goes away, but I don't get caught up or, or Stephanie and none of us get caught up in doing someone else's, trying to, trying to live up to someone else's vision is a lot of times how these things get 
mean and nasty and come apart in the end anyway. So if you have a vision that you're willing to support and you're willing to step up, then people will get inspired and say, oh, she's really doing this and let's let's pitch in. A lot of people are willing to pitch in, but it's tough to t- take the lead. I'm not, I'm not a lead taker. I'll, I'll, I'll pitch in once I see someone's And committed. you'll tell us how to do it. I, well, I, <laughs> I will complain you're doing it wrong behind your back, but no, I won't do that. So did you find that? Did you find that once you committed, people really pitched in? Absolutely. So I think um, our executive director, again, Mary Beth Fisher, um, went to our board of directors for the Guild and said, well, you know, one of our members has this idea. What do you think? And they all liked the idea, but I think they were all a little skeptical as to whether Mm. I could pull it off or not. Um, So I'm happy to say that we had the support from everybody that we needed um, and, and as I've said several times, it takes a room full of creative people to make a project like this happen. What did you think, the, what, what did the biggest challenge end up being from when you got the green light to when you got the stories out? I think the biggest challenge is getting the final group of stories and poems into the final format that you're going to have published because that's when you come up with um, the need for perfection Mm. and you need uh, several really good editors and proofreaders and eagle eyes to look it over and make sure it's all there. And you have to get the formatting right for the, you know, the, wherever you're having it published, et cetera, et cetera. So the technicality of that, I think is the most difficult part. I have to say that is much more difficult to me than sitting down and writing a story um, just because if it doesn't come out right in the end, it's my fault. So, you know, it's like any errors you see in this book, that's, I take that on. That's all my fault. Um, It's, it's a big weight sort of there is, there is an absolute horror, especially when you go back through something, maybe you've already written that's not in the book and you see something and you're like, how did I miss that? 10 times. This is the 11th time I've read it. And, and I, my, my, my last book, the Delaware beer book, I haven't had the courage to open yet because I know that I wasn't, I wasn't reading real hard. The the third time I I said, I don't know what I'm seeing anymore. And I don't want to know what I left. Right. And that's why I had to find a few, at least two people who hadn't laid eyes on any of this to read it front to back and, you know, that's a bit of a challenge because, again, we're a nonprofit organization. Yes, and so you're asking someone to do this out of the kindness of their heart to read 250 pages to mm. proof 250 pages. Yeah, yeah, proofing is different from reading. Yeah. When you talk about a final product, I mean, it's gorgeous. That cover just jumps right off the shelf at you. That's Crystal Heidel. I give her all the credit for that. Yeah. I, when I walked into the Night of, Song and Story. Night of Song and Story and I saw it on the table, I mean, I gravitated towards it. I mean, it's got a sort of a very cool art deco-y kind of vibe to the font, which I mean, I'm, I'm, I love a beautiful font and it was mm-hmm. gorgeous. And you did all the work. You got it proofed. You got a beautiful cover. It's all there. Now it's in print and it's been out since June. What Can you talk a little bit about the reception to it and, and how it's kind of done? Um, so far it's done very well and hopefully we'll continue to do so. Browse about, uh, has had us there once. Uh, Bethany books is selling it as well. Uh, we were doing a reading at Hokessen October 15th 
Um, there will be nine of the writers from the book will be doing a reading there. And Biblion used books and rare finds, and Lewis was so kind to us and had us there for an entire day in August, and we had uh, you know a whole group of like 17 writers there in and out during the day. So and working shifts. Yes, and it was fun. just very fun. And if people go to the uh, Rehoboth Writers Guild, can they see when these dates and events are taking place? Absolutely, on our website, RehobothBeachWritersGuild.org. Very cool. Do you know what you won't find on RehobothBeachWritersGuild.org? Your limericks and my haikus. Nope, we can barely get them on postcards, let alone on the internet. That's kind of true. <laughs> but if you do want one, how do you get it? If you'd like what you're hearing, you can always go to our website, which is www.sowhatsyourstorypodcast.com. There's a contact us page. Just give us your name, a mailing address. If you pick a word, Tony will put it into a limerick. I will put it into a haiku. We will put it on a fancy schmancy postcard that we have made up just for our podcast. Just for our listeners. Thank you just, in advance. Just for you guys. And then we're going to put a stamp on it and have a guy bring it to your house. Just like it's 1853. All right, Stephanie, now's the part of the show where you thank you guys. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about Rehoboth Reimagined. Thank you for inviting me. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com, where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast at iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And if you like it, then feel free to give us a good review. Tell your story.